Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey, if you've got your Bibles this morning, grab them and turn with me. I want to preach uh, a continuation of what I preached last week uh, out of Philippians. And we're going to be in Philippians and a number of other passages. Um, so you just go to Philippians chapter 1, chapter 2. We'll be in a few different places this morning. Uh, and I want to continue with this. Now, last week I preached a message. Um, it's God that does the work. And we've been studying through Philippians for the last several weeks and what Paul's letter to the Philippians uh, says about the church. Uh, and and we, so we've, we've covered a few things, okay? We've talked about this reality that, folks, we are a body. Now, it's metaphorical, obviously, but just like any other body, you cannot be detached. You can't cut off your leg and let it lie aside and have things go well. Anybody who is a follower of Christ needs to be, it's important to be a part of a body. Uh, you don't live, you don't thrive, you don't survive very well if you're not part of a body. We've also, I've, I've taught and preached through this reality that the church is an imperfect place with imperfect people. And that'd be a great place for you all to say amen. All right, good. You just showed your humility. Wonderful. <laughs> it's true. We're, all, we're, we're a place of imperfect people, and, and God is still working us on us. Every one of us is a work in progress, and the only reason any of us have any hope is we're all partakers in grace together with Christ. We're all a work in progress. And then last week, it was through the church, God chooses to change lives. And we got to remember that. It's God who works in us, not we ourselves. It's God who works in us. It's God who changes our lives. And there's hope and there's promise and there's comfort in that because there's a lot of people in this world that I would love, if I can just be so um, direct, I, I would, because you all would too, I'd love to be able to pick up a stick and go and persuade them. Anybody in this room. You understand what I'm saying? But that's not reality. At the very best, I might actually win the fight, and I might actually change their action, but I wouldn't change their heart. And it's the same way with us. It's God who works in us, not we ourselves. We pull that out of Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day, on the day of the Lord. And then Philippians 2.13 and 14, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're a work in progress, and it's God that does the work in us. This morning, what I want to preach, and I'm just going to ask you on the front end of this message this morning, I'm going to take my time with this. I'm not going to rush through it to hit a window. We've got to be out of here at uh, 1030, and we will be or very close to that. But I'm going to preach, and I want to share all of this message, even if it goes into next week. But this morning, I want to take what I preached last week and, and add this to it. God will not do the work alone. Hear me on this. It is absolutely God that works in you. You can't change yourself or fix yourself. But God will not do the work alone. Now, just think with me for a minute here, okay, about our children. How many of you have children or grandchildren? Okay. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you have the power to do a lot of stuff for your kids and your grandkids. But if you are a good parent, you will not do the work alone. You expect them to have a part and a piece in their growth and their maturity and their understanding and their gaining of knowledge, right? 
It wouldn't do any good to sit them down and do their homework for them, even though you probably could. My son yesterday, we were out to eat last night at Cracker Barrel, and my granddaughter came up to him. She's nine, and she had been eyeballing some stuffed animals and the slime in the Cracker Barrel storeroom as we were waiting for to get our seats. And uh, she came over, and she he, he seen her coming. He said, she's coming to ask for slime. She loves slime. I don't know. This girl needs to grow up and be a chemist. She comes to my house. Every time she comes, she makes she makes her own slime. If I go upstairs and the shaving cream's gone and the saline solution's gone, so I can't shave and I can't take my contacts out or put them in, I know my granddaughter's been there. That's what she used to make slime. Who knew? But she, she did. She does. But he, he, she came up to him and said, Dad, can I, can I get? And before she even got out of her mouth, he said, you've got allowance. You buy it. Because it wasn't enough for him to do it all for her. He pulls out his phone. He opens up an app. I mean, this is the day we live in. He pulls up her name. He looks through her list of chores, and he says, okay, you did this and this and this, but you didn't do any of these. So apparently they've got an amount assigned to every chore. He said, so this is how much you got to spend. <laughs> I thought, man, what a world we live in. I used to just give my kids like three things to do, and they got $5 for it, you know? That was it. But he's got an app, and they check it off when they do it. And okay, it's the same thing with God. He does the work in us, but he will not do it alone because we value what we put our energy and our effort into. I believe that's a piece of it and a part of it. How do I know this scripturally? Well, there's two verses, two passages I want to read to you this morning. And one I'm going to take off and preach on here in a moment. The first one's in Philippians 1, 9, 9 through 11. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. I believe we've got it to share with you on the screen if you don't. And it says this, Paul says this to the church in Philippi. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor Bray, how do you get that out of it? Well, I read that. It says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. In other words, I want you to add to the love that you have. I want you to add knowledge and discernment. How many of you have ever been able to gain knowledge without work? Not much. I've had to invest myself into something if I want to gain knowledge. And it's the same thing when God works in us. He expects us to, to do something. God will not do the work alone. I want to give you one other. And notice the knowledge and the discernment that comes in verses 9 through 11 leads us into the fruit of righteousness or right living or obedience. The other passage I want you to look at this morning is Matthew 7, 21. One of the most heart-rending passages I believe in the New Testament. And it says this, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will, the one who lives in righteousness, the one who does righteously, the one who obeys, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is the one who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. He goes on and he says this, Christian, hear this this morning, and, and those of you who have been in the church a while probably know this passage as well as I do, but he goes on and he says, on the day of judgment, on the day of of, of, of justice. There's going to be those that will say, but Lord, we've cast out demons in your name. But Lord, we've healed the sick in your name. I would imagine there will be people that, that will say, but we've paid finances and offering in your name. We've gone to the church in your name. We've done this in your name, and we've done that in, in your name. But he says, the ones who will enter into the kingdom of the heaven are the ones who obey. It's God who works in us, but we've got a piece and a part to play. Now, let me try to put those two pieces together for a minute for you. When I choose to obey and when I gain knowledge and 
discernment and those things that help me to live righteously, it's not all of a sudden me doing the work. It's me putting myself in a place to where God can do the work in me. It's a different thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just be, I choose to read my Bible. I, used, I choose to understand the Ten Commandments. I choose to understand the Beatitudes. I, I choose to read Matthew, the, the Sermon on the Mount. I choose to understand and have knowledge and information of what God's Word says. I choose to understand how those things apply to my life, discernment. But I'm going to tell you what, I know a lot of people that know a lot of things that do really stupid stuff. Anybody else in this room? And I've done some stupid stuff in my time too. It's still God who works in us, but by me putting the time and the work in to gain the knowledge and the discernment, I put myself in a place where God can work in me. God does the work, but God will not do it alone. He has expectations for us. What I want to preach this morning is the blessing, the, the blessing of helping yourself. The blessing of helping yourself. And I want to share and I want to preach a bit about what we must do for ourselves to put ourselves in a place where God can work in us. Because we're all a work in progress. If you're perfect this morning, if you're not a work in progress, you, you're free to leave because I got nothing for you, honestly. Um, except maybe we'll talk about humility and reality a little bit, but that's, you, you know, if, you, if you're that perfect one, you're probably not ready for that. So um, what we must do for ourselves, I, I read in that passage in Philippians 1, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So let's start with this. Love. What must you do? You must love. Love is one of those things that's necessary but not sufficient because he says, I pray that added to your love will be knowledge and discernment. But love is necessary. Love is required. Love is not something that is enough. And, and so let me just stop there for a minute. I run into this off and on. I, actually, I run into it a lot in this day and age. I love God. God loves me. That takes care of everything. I'm going to heaven. Love is necessary, but love is not sufficient. Let me compare it to marriage. I don't know that I've ever actually had anybody say this to me, but people, some people lean more this way than others. Pastor Barry, I, we want to get married, and we love each other. And that's all we need. Love is necessary, but love isn't sufficient. Ask the couple, usually the young couple, but not always. Ask the couple, where do you work? Well, we don't really have good jobs or any jobs right now, but love's going to get us through. Awesome, where are you going to live? Well, we haven't quite figured that out yet, but it'll all come together because we love each other. Who's going to buy the groceries? Well, we're not exactly sure, but... Our, both our parents live close. Wow. Love's necessary, but love isn't sufficient. Now listen to me. Loving God is necessary, but loving God alone is not sufficient. Because there's a lot of people that love God that are not living in the obedience that God requires. Can I read you something this morning? Let me, let me read you something this morning. Um, I can find it here real quickly. 
I, I am a, a uh, subscriber to a Christian magazine called Church Leaders, and it sends out a daily brief of information, stories that are relevant to Christians and church leadership and such things as that. This is the, this is the uh, email I got this morning, and it lists about five or six stories, top stories in the Christian world. Let me just share with you what they are. These are people that love God, which I assume they love God. But love isn't sufficient. First one goes like this. LGBTQ artist now has the top Christian album on iTunes. If you don't know what that is, I assume everybody does, but lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer artist, she identifies herself as queer, has the top Christian album. You heard me right, the top Christian album on iTunes right now. The next one is this, sexting, spiritual abuse, rape, devastating full report on Ravi Zacharias release. I don't know how many of you follow what's going on with Ravi Zacharias, who's now passed away. A lot of accusations came out after he died, and honestly, I didn't believe most of them. I thought that just sounds, it, it, it's, okay, when you're gone, it, to me, that just seems unfair. Not, a, not really a fair time to be making accusations against somebody, but he's now had people from his own family and his own organization come out and said, we've got the text and we've got the phones and it looks like we may never 100% know, but it looks like a lot of this stuff is probably reality. Love's God, but love's not, love's not, love's necessary, but not sufficient. Number three, inclusive Georgia church faces ousting from the Southern Baptist Convention because they now embrace and accept homosexuality and homosexuals within their membership ousting from the Southern Baptist Convention, which I don't know if you know much about the Southern Baptist Convention, but if there's any organization that's more conservative than the Assemblies of God, it might be the SBC. I, I don't know. And then lastly, I'll, and I'll just end with this one, 19 state bills, 19 state bills, bills across 19 different states seek to restrict transgender athletes this year. In other words, they're not allowing, they're, they're passing bills that will keep um, biological males who identify as females from being able to participate in girls' sports because that started to happen. And all of a sudden, those that were so rah, 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 excited for the transgender rights and, and have realized, oh, wow, if we do that, then all these girls that have been winning these um, awards and, and have been setting these records are going to start losing their records and losing their awards and losing their scholarships because We've now got biological males identifying as girls coming and competing against our daughters, and some people got a real problem with it, but the crazy thing is some people don't. We're living in a day and an age where love's awesome, because I'm guessing every one of them would say, yeah, I love God, and God loves me, but we need more than just love. Love is necessary, but not sufficient. Necessary, but not sufficient. And I think Paul was telling the church in Philippi that very thing. When I counsel, premarital counseling, I have the couples come in every now and then that say, we're in love, that's all we need. But here's the other things we talk about in the counseling sessions, just to give you an idea about, because there's this place where real world matters, and it comes down to things like this, communication. We love each other, but we can't talk. We just get in each other's presence and just breathe, and it's wonderful.
And we got Christians today that love worship, and ladies and men that are on the worship team, I love worship and I love being in the presence of God, but listen to me. If all you've got is that moment of, and it feels wonderful being in the presence of God and you don't know how to talk to Him, you've got a problem. We talk about conflict resolution because you may love each other right now and it may feel wonderful, but there's going to be conflict and you better know how to get through it. Partners, styles, and habits. Financial man management, money. This is the real world. This isn't the I love you, you love me, leisure activities, sexual expectations. I mean, you can kind of take that one out of the God equation, but God does care about our sex life. He made us this way, right? So there is that piece of it, I guess. Family and friends, character traits, spiritual, spiritual beliefs. And my point is simply this. Again, love is necessary, but it's not, it's not sufficient. Let me just talk a minute about the reality of love, though, because love is necessary. And, and, and maybe, some of you, maybe some of you need to hear this. If you've got your Bibles, I know I got you in Philippians, but I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for a minute. And I'm going to, and I'm going to read for you out of verse 4. I've always appreciated Paul's honesty with what love is. And you know what love isn't? It isn't that moment where we stand in each other's presence and just breathe and just feel amazing. That's not, that's not love. That's hormones. It's chemical. It's even awesome and not anything wrong with it necessarily. But here's what love is according to Paul. Love is patient. I don't have to be patient with people that agree with me. I have to be patient with people that disagree with me. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. In other words, love isn't about me, it's about you. Because it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Love bears all things. Love tolerates all things. Love puts up with all things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love isn't just until you get annoyed with the partner and the spouse and decide it's time to move on to another. Love never ends. And if love never ends, marriage never ends. And if you've gone through divorce this morning, I'm not, this isn't me putting on my boots and beating you up. I, I don't, this isn't about your past. This is about your future. And God calls us be in marriage forever. That's, that's the reason we go through premarital counseling. Because love is necessary, but it's not sufficient. But if we'll cover the things that are sufficient, it's amazing how love can go forever. Love never ends. Do you, do you know those things I just read? Do you know what, you know what those are called? Do you know what it takes to do those? Can I just be honest with you? Can I just tell you? Hard work. Hard work. You all have been married for a while, and those of you that are engaged and dating and whatever, I, we all remember those moments when it first starts and the hormones are raging and, and there's no warts, and we look at them and we love them, and we could, it wouldn't matter what they did. But those of you that have been with somebody for a while, you, you know there comes a point where it becomes hard work. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's hard work. And if you're not willing to do the, love, the hard work, you're never going to have what's necessary, and that's the love. Love is necessary. Now listen, can I say something maybe almost feels blasphemous this morning? And I hope not. I hope you understand where this comes from, but I'm because I'm going to say it. There are times I have to work hard to love God. Not because God did anything wrong, not because God is wrong, or not because God is 
mistreated me, but because I don't understand why God's not doing the things the way I think they ought to be done and the way I see they ought to be done. Anybody understand that? I, I, if you've never gotten mad at God, then I really got to question how much, how close is your relationship with Him really? Because I have. Love is necessary. It's not sufficient, but it is necessary. And there are times choosing to love God and practice faith when I don't get it. It's hard work. But if you're not willing to put in the hard work and do the hard work, then you're not going to have the relationship for very long. It's hard work. And I just, I, I always try to preach steps. And, and maybe this is just too general, but my, my steps this morning for you, the first one is just simply this. L love is a choice. Choose to love. Choose to love God. Choose to love God when you get Him and you understand Him and it makes sense. And choose, love is a choice. Choose to love God. Choose to be faithful to God. Choose to believe God. Choose to trust God. Choose to be patient with God even when you don't understand. Because love is necessary. It's not sufficient, but it is, it is necessary. And I want to go on. I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about the other piece of this. It's not sufficient. It is necessary, but it's not sufficient. So let's talk about what else has to be added to that. In verse 9, uh, Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And he says, It may abound with. In other words, you may add to it knowledge, and all discernment. And I ask this question, knowledge, what kind of knowledge? There's a couple ways this morning I want to illustrate what I'm talking about. So, so get this, okay? God says, or Paul says, I pray that your love is real, it's necessary, but added to your love, because it's not enough, it's not sufficient, added to your love is knowledge. So not what knowledge? What kind of knowledge? Anybody here love history? You guys, any, anybody history buffs? You of you are? Okay. I, 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 my problem is, well, is I like too many things. I, I do. I like history. I love history. Um, Ruthie and I went a few years ago out to the East Coast of Virginia, Williamsburg area, Yorktown, and we got to go and travel and see some of the colonial sites. And one of the places we went was where there were three ships that brought, um, brought travelers or, to America back in the 1600s. So this is pre-colonial days, 1609 or 1606. The, the ships, it was the constant, the Godspeed, and the Discovery set sail from London on December 20th, 1606, came to Virginia. They carried 105 passengers and 39 crews. And if you look at those ships, they're one's bigger than the other. I think the one in the front is probably the biggest, just looking at it there. But um, according to the sources, 71 people were, were aboard the biggest one, 52 aboard the, the next one, and 21 aboard the smallest one. So 71, 52, and 21 people were on those ships. And the fleet reached Virginia coast in late April. So they left in December, and they arrived in April. And then after two weeks of up and down the waterways, they finally settled on their settlement, uh, and, and that, that's the ships, and that's the history that I just gave you. And that, that's knowledge that somewhat I have, and you now have because I've shared it with you, and that's one way to gain knowledge. But let me tell you another way to, another way to gain knowledge. Ruthie and I, while we were out there, we got to uh, go down and actually walk onto those ships. We got to go down underneath, down into the belly of the ship, and it changed the entire set of knowledge. Ruthie's five foot tall. She could pretty well walk in that lower area without scrunching down, but I couldn't. They were on that ship from December to April, four months, um, as many as 71 people. And I'm telling you now, that belly of that ship was not as big as this platform. 
71 people in the belly of that ship and some up above for four months in treacherous waters in a space that was only about this tall. And it's like, wow, my understanding of history just changed. They tell me that there are times where the largest ship, they actually take it out and they will sail it from where it is there up to New York and then back. I would love to do that someday, I think, although I'd probably be violently ill and regret every moment of it. But that would change my understanding of history anymore. And if you really want to change your understanding of history, you would get on that ship with 71 people and a crew, and you would travel across the ocean to England, to London with that, and you would experience, all of a sudden, you would experience the feelings, the nauseousness, the smells, the lack of latrines, the sleeping on hard wood and having to share beds and sleep in shifts, and it becomes experiential knowledge instead of just head knowledge. Now listen to me, I want to make a point this morning. We have a lot of people today in the church that have a lot of head knowledge about God's stuff, but they lack the experience of taking that knowledge and putting it into their lives, the discernment piece of the knowledge. And God calls us, Paul's prayer is this, I pray you have love and add to your love knowledge, but not just head knowledge, experiential knowledge. You you have knowledge of prayer, awesome. That's wonderful. But have you put it into play and used it? And then have you used it long enough that you've actually ran up against some situations where it didn't work out the way you thought it would? Is your knowledge more than just being able to quote facts and figures and information, or is it really living life day to day, um, boots on the ground, life on life, knowledge of the things of God? Because I'm going to tell you, when it becomes real, it all changes. And that's what Paul calls us to this morning. Experiential knowledge. I brought with me this morning some books, some math books. These are for Kyle because he's my math buddy. He'll probably leave right now. If you want to learn math, you read these books, Algebra and Trig, and this one's Calculus, and this one's Differential Equations. And if you want to learn, if you want to learn math, you know what it's called? Work. 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 Do you know the number of hours I invested in opening these books and work reading through these things and hurting my brain trying to understand these things? A lot, Kyle. A lot, my friend. And yet we think it's okay to gain knowledge about God in a short little window once a week or once a month. I'm not trying to beat you up this morning, but I'm going to tell you, if my doctor put no more effort and energy into learning medicine than some Christians put into learning Christ, I wouldn't go to him. I would be offended that he called himself doctor. I would think he ought to be charged with malpractice, and I don't want to be a malpractice practicing follower of Jesus Christ. My friends, it takes work, energy, effort, and Kyle will get this. Kyle will understand this statement. Kyle will even say yes to the statement. It is not always fun. Kyle would say it's never fun, and I, that, that's too far. Kyle, that's too far. It is sometimes fun. He hasn't got to that place yet, but it but it's work. I could have brought in my theology books. I could have brought in my books from Bible college and and, and working through that stuff, and we could have talked about that, and maybe that would have been more spiritual, and that's true as well. 
but maybe this could, I knew this would connect with Kyle if nobody else. But you know what else? Do you, so I, I just randomly open this up and, and I go to the set of problems at the end of a section and I work through these problems and there's usually about 50, 60, 70 of them and the first 20 or 30 or 40 usually are, are great and no big deal, but you hit the last third and you know what you run into? Applied math. They take the principles and they take the knowledge that you've learned and they say, okay, here's a story. Here's, here's a situation. It may have to do with finance. It may have to do with golf balls flying up in the air. It may have to do with cars and automobiles. It may have to do with chemistry. It may have to do with who knows what. It's life situations, life on life. And it says, take what you've learned and now figure out the answer to this life situation based on what you learned. That's discernment. And that's what Paul says. I pray that you, Christian, will add to your love because love is necessary but not sufficient. He says, I pray that you will add to your love knowledge, but then take that knowledge and add to it discernment because it's not enough to have the knowledge of God's Word. You've got to understand how to take that knowledge and apply it to different situations in life. And listen, I tried to prepare my kids for life. I tried to prepare them for, uh, for dealing with the world and working jobs, and, and, those, and we taught them principles and we taught them basics. But I'm going to tell you, there was no way in this world for me or any other parent that we can prepare our kids for everything they're going to run into. And he says discernment. He says, have such a deep understanding of God's knowledge of God's word that you can take it in whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever comes at you, whatever thing you face, take it and have the discernment to know how it applies to that circumstance. And we've got a lot of Christians today that love God, but have very little knowledge and even less discernment. And that's why those headlines that I just read to you are the headlines in America today. God says knowledge and discernment. We had, we had uh, our vans, I mentioned that last, a week or so ago, we had our vans vandalized. Somebody came and stole uh, catalytic converters off of them for the metal that's in them. So we had to take them in and get them repaired and the insurance, we had to have the insurance cover the cost. And we sent them out and got a quote and uh, each one had two catalytic converters and it came in around, I think the quote came in around $8,000, $6,000, $6,000, it was high. And uh, so we took them over to the place that gave us the quote once we got the check from the insurance company and they did the work. And when they were done with the work, the work came back and it was actually $1,500 less than what they had quoted us. So all of a sudden, I'm running up against a situation. What do I do with that $1,500? Because my experience has been that, you know, when the insurance company cuts you a check, the check's cut, and that's it. And if you can take it somewhere else and get it cheaper, then that's money that you put in your pocket, and that's awesome. But I had Ruthie ask the adjuster, I said, ask him if, the, if, the, if it costs more than what the quote was, what do we do? And he said, well, contact me, and we'll make it right. And all of a sudden, I come up against a situation. Now, all of a sudden, it costs less. And is it really right to take that money into pocket it and put it in my pocket? Not my pocket personally, but the church's. It was on back in the church's general fund. Is it really right to do that? Because I promise you, had they come in costing us more, I promise you we would have been on the phone saying, hey, we need another $300. And all of a sudden, I come, I come up against knowledge and, and, and principles of God in a real-life situation, and I, I said, all right, Ruthie, we got to call and ask, what is he, ask him, what, is he, what do we need to do with the money to make this right? And I was hoping he'd say, you know what? We wrote you the check, just take it and put it in your account. That's what I was hoping. But he didn't. He, but this is what he said. He said, you know, I don't think I've ever had a church call me and ask me that question before. I thought, oh, wow. He said, thank you for being honest. 
he said, here's what I'll do. We also had to have the batteries replaced in them. He said, we'll, we'll you, you can use the insurance money to pay for the batteries, even though they weren't destroyed. He said, take, just take that out of what's, what's owed. And, he's, and he'd already made things right with the deductible. It didn't, wasn't the same deductible. or It wasn't a du two, deductible two times, one to each van. He applied it just one deductible to the two vans together. And he treated us right. He treated us fairly. Now, we have $1,000 less in our account, but I sleep a lot better at night. And I feel a lot more comfortable standing before Jesus one day and giving account. And I'm glad to be able to stand up here and tell you this story instead of feeling guilty that I would have to tell you the other side of the story had I done it a different way. And that's what I'm talking about. And that's what Paul's talking about. Add to your knowledge discernment. Discernment. And when you do that, you learn to live right and righteously. And then when you stand before God, you're not the one saying, or not the one having Jesus say to you, depart from me, uh, you worker of iniquity. You didn't obey me. You, you may have loved me, but you didn't obey me because we know and understand not only what obedience is, but how it applies to my everyday life. I'm going to end with this, and I've got another half of this sermon. I may preach some of it next week because i got another half of this whole series too, so we'll see where God takes it. But I want to end with, I'll, I'll end with this thought because we're, we're running up against time. And it's this, how, how, how are you, what is your process for gaining knowledge? How are you doing it? Used to be in the church, there was this thing called catechism. To be a member of a church and to be a member of Christianity, you had to learn certain information, doctrinal truths, and you would then sit down and there would be a question and answer, and if you could answer them, you'd go through catechism and you could become a, a member of Christianity, basically. And that was very Catholic. And when we became Protestants, when the Protestant church broke off, catechism in large part kind of disappeared. We used to do something very similar in, in, the, in the Protestant church called Sunday school. Some of you are old enough to remember Sunday school when people actually would come and it was fun and we would do things. And I found this, I found this incredibly interesting. When, I, when God called me into ministry, I was 23, so I was, I was well into it. A, a, well, not about well into adult life, but I was well past teenage years. I was 23, and I started to go through the studies that were out there that were the Assemblies of God required for ministry. And it was it was intense. It was about uh, 36 different classes I had to take to learn about the Bible and learn about pastoring and all that stuff. And here's what I found interesting: those Bible classes, because I came from a family of Sunday school people, and we were in Sunday school every single crazy week. Um, when I sat down to go through what I needed to understand to be a pastor, I knew it. From the time I was this tall till I was 23, I had got it every single week, and a little bit at a time here and a little bit there. And I, 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 and I it took me deeper, and I mean, I went to deeper levels, but I, I had it. Sunday school did that for me. We kind of people quit coming to Sunday school, so we quit Sunday school. And now what we have, especially with COVID right now, is we have Wednesday night Bible study. And that is the place, and we have Wednesday night Bible study. But listen to me, I do my best to make it interesting, and I hope it is a little bit. It's 30-minute window, and it's on Facebook Live right now because of COVID. But I will tell you, if you really want to gain knowledge and discernment, it's work. We spent the last number of weeks going through the New Testament. We got a few more weeks in the story of the New Testament. We've gone through the story of the Old Testament. This is what we got coming up this year, studies in Isaiah, the Gospel of Mark, scriptures difficult to understand. Great prayers of the Bible, letters from Peter and Jude, defending the faith in our modern world. Those are the things we're going to study this year, maybe even to the first of next year, possibly. And I'd encourage you this morning, add to your love, knowledge, and discernment. And that's one way you can do it. 
become a part of our Wednesday night Facebook Live Bible study. Is it always the most exciting thing? Is there a lot of interaction? We've not, I've not done good at being able to figure out how to make that happen with a time delay on Facebook. It's work. Try to make things funny once in a while, here and there, and interesting. But you'll gain knowledge, you'll gain discernment, and you'll learn what it means to live righteously, and it'll be added to love because love necessary but not sufficient. You'll stand before God one day, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. That's what I want. The downside to Facebook Live is hard to be interactive. The upside is people can watch it anytime. If you can't be there at 6.30 on Wednesday night, you can watch it anytime, or you can listen anytime. I've got people that are a part of our Wednesday night Bible study now that couldn't have been in the past when we weren't putting it on Facebook because they weren't able to be here for jobs. Why don't you stand with me? I've got to let you go. Love you guys. This was not a, and I hope it didn't come across that way, this was not a beat you up sermon. This was a, man, let's, let's invest ourselves the hard work of gaining knowledge and discernment and adding it to our love. Because I think you love God. But I do want to hear one of these days in my life and your life, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we bless you. We thank you for your word truth of your word, God, for the incredible technology and availability of knowledge today and knowledge of the things of God. And my prayer is this, Lord, help us not to be those negligent Christians that this world has so many of. Help us to invest ourselves in doing the hard work of growing and understanding and knowledge of you and how to apply it to our life. Lord, that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name. Love you guys. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.